This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are here today. Really excited about this episode of the podcast, which is sponsored by Prevenex. If you are looking for a great supplement to help you protect your joints and feel better when you run and when you're not running, check out Prevenex in the Joint Health Plus supplement. So many raving reviews about this product. The ingredients in Joint Health Plus are clinically proven to offer the most comprehensive and complete joint protection on the market. I take Joint Health Plus every single day, and so many other listeners of this show do as well. And the great thing about Prevenex is they have a 100% money-back guarantee if you are not satisfied. So give it 30 days and see what results you will have. I bet you will be happy. Uh, They also have a great protein powder that I love, Nurify Plus. Use it almost every single day in smoothies or just shake it up after long runs or workouts. My kids love it too. So you all can go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. All right, today my guest is Emily Lapari. Really excited to have Emily on the show. I followed her career for a while and, and she is so fun to talk to. It'll be a really fun conversation to listen to, I'm sure of it. Emily is a U.S. road mile champion. She is currently focusing on the 5,000 and the 10,000, but she is a longtime 1,500 and miler. She runs for Adidas. And in 2021, she had a pretty big surgery that she'll talk about and what that time in her life looked like wasn't easy. Uh, what decisions she had to make, and then what that comeback has looked like. Taking that one day at a time and just seeing where it would take her. And what I love about stories like this is you just never know. You never know what's going to happen. And she is running some really strong races. She recently placed eighth at the 5K Road Champs in New York City and uh, currently lives in Hawaii. Her husband is in the Navy and he works on submarines. So that is a really cool part of her life as well that we get to hear about. If you enjoy this conversation, well, first of all, let Emily know. Reach out to her on Instagram. She's classic Emily L on Instagram. Um, And leave us a quick rating and review. That is one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. Uh, We do give away a pair of Gooder sunglasses every single month for new ratings and reviews. So you can get entered to win that when you just leave a review on iTunes. It's that simple. Uh, If you listen on Spotify, you can leave a rating over there, but I do collect the entries for the Gooder giveaway on iTunes in the review section. I look at all the new reviews and pull one from there. Speaking of Gooder, get yourself a pair of awesome Gooder shades when you go to gooder.com slash another. Use the code another15 for 15% off your order. They have classic styles. They have fun, bright, exciting styles. I just love those sunglasses. They are the best. That's gooder.com slash another. Use the code another15, that's one five, for 15% off your order. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Emily. All right, Emily Lapari on I'll Have Another Podcast today. Hi, Emily. 
Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show from Hawaii. Yes, I know. Can you believe it? Sometimes I like I'm a little surprised. I'm like, yeah, I live here. So kind of crazy. It is wild. How long have you guys been there? So I only got out here like end of August, beginning of September when the season ended. Um, but my husband got out here in July. So it was kind of like a crazy summer because it was like right after U.S. Nationals, like all of our stuff was being packed up, put on a boat, heading towards Hawaii, and like things were just like a little chaotic. But he had gotten here, our stuff got here like three months later. So it was like, we're just kind of making a transition to a new place, but it's been amazing. <laughs> um, and I've loved it so much. So no complaints. What a cool opportunity. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely is. Like it's sometimes I forget like how unique of a life I have. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes it feels like I have these like two separate lives because I have this life as a military spouse. And when I'm home, I'm just kind of completely immersed in that life and just talking to people, something totally different about running, but yet they really support me in what I do. And then other times I have this passion that I'm chasing and my dreams and I get like an endless amount of support from the submarine community because they just like, they're all like super smart and they just use their brains all the time. But like, then there's me who's just like so physically active and they're always like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> Do you know any other professional runners who are partnered or married with someone in the military? Yes, I do actually know um, one more. So I don't know if you know Grace Barnett. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, so she's married to a Marine Corps pilot. And so her and I, we kind of, we talk a lot and we kind of just like help each other through it. And her husband just got back from a big like seven month deployment. So we've kind of just like give each other advice or we just are kind of there for each other because it's kind of a little confusing or like you get a timeline from the military, it totally changes. You tell all your friends and family it changed, so now you sound crazy. So it's just like, it's this wild life. Totally. What's wild too is that as a professional runner, you already like travel all over the country and world. Yeah. And then you have this other life that does it sometimes feel like secluded from the professional running culture? Yeah, no, it definitely does a little bit. Um, because I do like a lot of stuff on my own. Yeah, um, yeah. Particularly like when I'm home, like a lot of it is just by myself. I get out the door and just very self-motivated and get everything done. So for the whole fall, like I've been here at home in Hawaii, um, but sometimes you do miss that culture of the team and like having your coach there. Um, but for me, like I go back and forth to training camp a lot, which will be coming up soon. And so you kind of just get immersed back in that life. Um, and I've been doing this kind of for a few years now. So I kind of know the trial and error of like, okay, well, what do I need before a major race? And how long do I need to be with my team and my coaches to be in the environment to get the results that I want? So it's taken a little bit to know like what that means, but it's also now the balance of like being away from home and being away from my husband and like, don't, I don't want to like miss him when like he's out to sea and like I'm gone or if he's home and I'm gone. So it's like a little bit like playing with his schedule too. <laughs> yeah. How wild will that be when you both enter like new phases in your career and you're more like, we're both here all the time together. <laughs> Yeah, we've talked about that. We're like, it's kind of crazy because um, I just I just turned 30 and my husband's 31. 
And through our entire 20s, it's just been this like absolute chaos of like, I don't think we've been home together for like more than like two months at a time. Wow. Um, with the exception of COVID. Like yeah. when COVID hit, we had just a seven month stretch where we were together all the time. And we're like, this is amazing. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we were like, we were like so excited about it, but like, we've just like dealt with some like really difficult like challenges like through our lives. So we think that we've had some things that have prepared us like really well for this. And so we do really well, we communicate well and like, that's what it's all about. But we do look forward to the day where we're actually like both being able to see each other every day. So that will be fun. <laughs> um, where did you all meet? We met in college actually. Okay. Um, cause we, we both were at Villanova and, um, he was the, in ROTC at Villanova and he had lived with some guys on the track team, which is how we ended up meeting. But he wasn't on the track team? No, he doesn't run. Okay. Okay. That's kind of cool though, that that's how you met. Like that it just happened to be that he roomed with track guys. Yeah, it was just totally by chance. Um, so it was super fun when we had met him and like I was just like totally obsessed and like had to have him. So <laughs> it probably sounded a little crazy when I met him, but it was like it turned out fine. <laughs> I was totally obsessed and had to have him. That's so great. He's going to be telling that story till the day he dies probably. Oh, yeah. No, he, he totally does. He gets a kick out of it now. So we just like we just laugh about it so much because we've been together for like a decade now. So it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You uh, mentioned like, tr you know, going to training camps with, mm -hmm. with your teammates and training alone. And I heard you mention on Rory's podcast that, you know, there's value in training alone, too. And there's this like glamorization of training with these big groups and whatnot. And so I'd be curious to hear you expand on that a little bit more. Yeah. So I think it's really, it's really interesting um, when you kind of train by yourself, because there's a couple of things that happen. It's one, you kind of question like, do I absolutely love doing this? Because for me, it's like, I have a lot of sacrifices of like leaving home and spending ample amount of time away from my husband. But when you're training alone, it really like lights that fire and you're like, I love this. I'm chasing after my goal. I'm like hurting by myself. Um, I'm relying totally on myself. So it opens up like this toolbox and all of a sudden like it gets me out of my comfort zone. Like for me, like I've always been kind of like a sit and kick type athlete. But I feel like when I started training alone, I was like more willing to take more risks um, or I was like less afraid. It kind of gave me a little bit more confidence. So it was like a really interesting transition for me um, because I was just like getting after things like so much different than I would when you just kind of rely on people to pull you through every day. And it just keeps you really disciplined because when you're by yourself, like you can get out the door anytime you want. But for me, I'm like a nine or nine thirty, okay. like every, every single day, like I have a schedule. And so you are just totally responsible for yourself. And it's a really, really empowering feeling. And like, I've hit some like really great workouts by myself that I've been like super proud of. And it just gets me like, when I'm on the start line, I'm getting ready for a race. I'm like, I just think back to those like really hard grind sessions that I put myself through that I did by myself. And I'm like, yep, I still love this. I'm still passionate about it. Um, and so it kind of like awakens that a little bit. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other solo tr people that have trained solo that I've talked to on the podcast. And I think about that in races too, because when you are racing, you're racing on your own. You know what I mean? Like you can, you pack up with the people, but at the end of the day, like it's your race and you've been out there, you know, pounding those miles by yourself. 
Yeah, for sure. Like I've talked to Natasha Rogers about it a little bit because she she kind of does a lot on her own too. Um, so we've kind of just talked about like what motivates us and like how we get it done and everything. Um, so it's just kind of cool when you find like another pro who's like kind of has like a similar type of life or like some similarity to like bring you together like that. And you're like, yeah, we're like, we're awesome. Like we can, we can do this and grind this out. So you just kind of like empower each other in that way. A nine o'clock start time is like perfection. <laughs> like I want to wake yeah. up at six thirty or seven. Yep. Drink my coffee, read, do whatever, and give myself like two hours. And like that, that sounds like the perfect time. What's the weather like at nine a.m. in Hawaii right now? Yeah, I've had to adjust that time difference a little bit since we've moved here um, because it does get really hot. So I've been kind of changing that to like 8 a.m. here. Mm -hmm. I would say now like in the winter that we have here, um, which is really just like rainy season, like I can get out the door at like 9 or 9.30 and be totally fine right now. But it's basically like 85 degrees like every single day. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's hot. (laughs) Um, And it's hot. And it's like the humidity is like really intense here too. So like when I moved out here, we kind of transitioned to doing a lot with heart rate. Okay. Because similar, because similar to altitude, like it's really easy to like overcook yourself. And again, when you're training by yourself, there's nobody here to like pull you back and be like, "Hey, let's chill." So I kind of have to do that on my own. And so we just follow like a lot of like heart rate stuff, and it's been going like really, really well. And like we're getting really great results so far. So it's been a really nice fall of training. Where do you fall on the humidity and elevation argument? I hear some people saying, "Oh, humidity's way worse," or "Altitude's way worse." Where do you fall on that? It's interesting. I always used to think that like altitude was probably harder, but like when, now that I've been here, um, I'll be kind of curious when I start like coming out to races. Like when I would, when I ran the New York 5k, um, I was like obviously training in like all this humidity and I came out to New York and everybody's complaining about how humid it is. I was like, Oh, this like, isn't bad at all. Like it's been like so thick here. Um, but I almost think that I think humidity is a bit harder because mm-hmm. I can run like pretty similar to what I at altitude to what I can run at sea level, but humidity, I do actually have to slow it down a bit. And I'll be curious as I train in it more, if it will get similar. Cause like I've gone to altitude so many times now, which is why I think maybe it's like a little bit similar to sea level. Um, but I'll be curious the more I do it. So I feel like I'm straddling the fence right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the New York 5k, you, ran what you said you thought you were in shape for in eighth place. How do you feel now looking back at the race? Yeah, no, I feel like I feel really good about it. Um, I was like really, I've always wanted to be in New York City, like for Marathon Weekend. And I grew up in New York and I've never been in the city for the marathon, which is crazy. Oh, wow. Um, I know. It's like, I was like, wow, that's terrible. (laughs) Why have I never gone in the city for that? Um, But yeah, I like... (laughs) I, when I was thinking about it, like, you know, you kind of set your goals for the races and like, you always want to set them like really, really high, but sometimes you have to be a little bit realistic with where you are. And like, with how like crazy my summer was, like I had run NACAX this summer mm-hmm. and at the end of July, I like totally pulled something in my calf. Mm-hmm. So like the four weeks leading into NACAX, like I didn't run a step. <laughs> um, so I kind of got hurt that like whole month of August. And then I kind of got like a late start in September. So I really only put in like I would say five weeks of like good work in before that race. And so I was really happy with that race because I feel like 
I ran like really within myself. Like I didn't go out super hard because I knew I just wasn't in shape to go out at 438 pace. Yeah, they went out um, so fast. They went out so fast. I'm pretty sure I was, I went out in like 452 for the first mile and I was in dead last. And wow, so were you really? I was absolutely, I looked around. I was like, there's not a single person behind me. Did that so freak like, you out at all? No, not at all. Because as soon as I saw we were 452 the first mile, I was like, oh, excellent. I'll just keep working my way up here. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. And so that's what, I, and that's what I did. And so like, you know, it takes like a lot of self-control to not just like the competitiveness in you to just like get after it like that. But I was like, okay, I want to like finish as high as I can and just like run a smart race. So I was just really happy with my race execution. But you just have to be honest that like the fitness, it's, early November. It's just not quite there right now. <laughs> That's so hard. Cause you want to go out with yeah. the group because it's yep. easier to run with a group, but I mean, yep. 438. That's in, is <laughs> yeah. that what you said? 438. I think that's what the, the- I think that's what the leaders went out and they were definitely wow. sub 440. Cause I was way, I was like way back. I was like, what is going on? Like, am I this <laughs> Where am I? Are we racing a mile? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what I felt like. Um, but it was, you know, and again, like training by yourself, it was like, okay, I know it's like, if this was like a tempo and we're just kind of cranking it down like each half mile. And I kind of just telling myself that, and I was just, you know, kind of just picking people off as I went. And then the goal was the goal for me was like a top five mm-hmm. finish. Um, but ended up top 10 and like, I'll take it. It was a really great field. So it was yeah. like pretty stacked. So, you know, I'm not disappointed with being eighth and just being able to know like what my shape is, execute a good race and just kind of like build to like where I want to be come June. Yeah. That field was so stacked. And <laughs> how many people were in the field? Cause I just want to get a picture of you being dead last coming up. to Yeah. Camp. Yeah. Um, I think there were 30. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so I like I looked around. There was not a single person. I was like, cool. <laughs> there can't be a more fun way to race, though. Like to be able to, I mean, yeah. other than winning, of course, but like to be able to just yeah. like pass people the entire race. Yeah, no, it was super empowering. I was just like, wow, okay, I'm doing it. I'm just picking people off right now. I never run from the back like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the biggest thing is just not getting yourself flustered. Yeah. Um, because before the race, like my coach and I were talking about, and he was like, Hey, like, I think you're in shape to run like five minute pace right now. Um, let's not go out any faster than that. And I was like, okay, well, like, and then as I'm running in, obviously you have to adjust to like what the race is doing. I was like, if I went out in five minute pace, it would have been like way in the back. So I just had to like, kind of adjust to like what that felt like. And that first mile is always a little fast there from what I've heard. So I was like, all right, like I felt comfortable enough that like, I think I ended up and then the Central Park Hills, like it just kind of mm. slows you down naturally. So <laughs> yeah, those hills are no joke. Where in yeah. New York are you from? Um, So I'm from a town called Roslyn okay. um, and I'm uh, on Long Island. So in Nassau County, about 10 miles outside the city. Oh, so close. Okay. Yeah. yeah pretty, really pretty New close. York. Yeah, like super New York. Like I'm, I was, when I live in Hawaii, everybody tells me that I've definitely got like a New York vibe. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. If, like, You're like, is compliment. that good or bad? What does that mean? <laughs> I take it as a compliment, but I'm not sure if you meant it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker. I'm so grateful to have them on board for the podcast. Inside Tracker was created by leading scientists in aging genetics, biometrics, and Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you are not. We put so much time and energy into running or whatever it is you personally are passionate about. And I just think to be able to know what your levels are, especially for your iron and things like that, it's key. So with Inside Tracker, they will 
take your blood panel, and then they will give you those results and give you an ultra personalized performance system that analyzes all the data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and it will help you learn how to optimize your body and reach your goals. For a limited time, you can receive 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you go to insidetracker.com slash another. If you go to that exact landing page, that should automatically apply the 20%. If that's not working, just use the code another and that will get you 20% off. Um, why did you choose to go to Villanova? Oh, for so many reasons. Um, so I was, so the New York state, um, public school like cut off is like November 1st or is that December 1st for birthdays so like my first semester of college I was 17 years old oh, um, wow so I was like I was really really young and I think like I was looking at a couple different schools and I had really really connected um with the coach there who I'm still really really close with and I really loved the team when I went on my visit and for me it was only two and a half hours away from home and I really wasn't, you know, I was only 17 when I entered yeah. college and I like really wasn't ready to be like super far away. Um, so Villanova had everything that I had wanted and I was really excited to like go into that program. 17. It's the yeah. older I get and then the older my kids get, my oldest is 10. I'm just like, it's you're so young when you go, even when you're 18, you're so young when you go to college. Oh, yeah, you are so young. And I was like, so embarrassed. Because like, when you're signing all your forms, like I had to fax them all back to my parents. Because <laughs> you weren't 18 uh, yet? Because I wasn't 18 yet. And I think I turned 18. I think it was like the weekend of NCAAs. Um, so it was like, I was like going to my first NCAAs as a 17 year old, wow. which was like, really scary. I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> that's so wild. And who's the coach? Uh, Gina Procaccio. Okay. Yeah. So she's, she's still there. She's been there for like, gosh, like over 20 years. Like she's a Villanova graduate. She loves Villanova. She loves her athletes. Like so many of us are like, so really, really close with her, like after graduation. So, um, yeah, we just love her. (laughs) That's so good. Now tell us about, um, signing with Adidas. Yeah. So my, my journey has been really, really fun. Like when, when I came out of school, I was with BAA from 2014 until 2017. Um, and then when my coach Terrence left Boston, he moved to San Diego and was starting his like Adidas group there. Um, and that's kind of like when I started going remote with Terrence and the team and went to go live with my husband who was living in Seattle at the time. Um, but Adidas has been like really supportive to me, like through like injuries and like me being like a military spouse. And like, I'm like so thankful for their support because, you know, it's really hard to do this sport if you don't have that support. I mean, you see people doing it all the time and they're incredible and they find these really creative ways to still chase it while working full time. And those people are incredible, but I've been like really blessed, like through my career that I haven't had to. And you know, I've been with Adidas for like a decade now, basically. So it's been that a lot of fun. That is so cool. I love it when I talk to people who have been with the same brand for a very long yeah. time because it speaks a lot to how well the brand supports the athlete. Yeah, no, they, they definitely do because it's like I know it's like for me, it's like I'm not a super enticing sign because, you know, I'm not in a group like full time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm constantly moving every couple of years. Um, but you know, I've kind of, they've been like really great to me, like as I've been an athlete. So it's like, I have no complaints and I feel really lucky because I know that like not everybody else gets that lucky. How do you deal? Cause you've moved around a lot. How mm-hmm. do you handle, 
and I maybe ask this selfishly because we moved a year and a half ago after living in the same place for 20 years. And like, how do you handle making new friends and being in a new environment? And just like, I don't know, it can feel really lonely. Yeah, no, it definitely does. It can feel like really, really lonely and isolating at times. Um, but the, the way I always tell my husband is like, I'll always just kind of like aggressively get after friends. And like, when they tell me no, that's fine. But like, I'll always just keep like messaging people. And in a way, it's like kind of like dating, right? Like you kind of sure. put yourself into like these different groups, and you kind of just see like where your vibe is. Um, so every time, well, and honestly, like running has been a great thing that's brought me together with a lot of people. Um, because for a while I never really liked to be open about like me, like moving so many places. Cause I always like found it. It's just like, it can be like really draining, but I feel like the more I've been like kind of open about where I've been living and moving, I've actually gotten people that have like reached out to me and we're like, Hey, like I see you're in this area. Like, do you want to just like go for a run or like, Hey, I have a friend that lives in this area. Like you should get together with them. And like, to be honest, like my community has been connecting me with other people. And especially in an area like Hawaii, like I actually already have like a ton of friends here, which is super cool. Um, And like, I'll just like do things where I'm like, hey, like, I'm just gonna sign up for this like ladies golf clinic for beginners. And like, I've met a couple other people doing that. Or like I had like a runner reach out to me who's just like a runner on Oahu and I got together and had dinner with a couple of her friends. And so like, I think it's just like, finding like a confidence to like, Mm -hmm. hey, like, I'm gonna meet some people, it may not be my vibe, but like, I'm gonna get out there and kind of like, see, like, if this is a good connection, and you kind of just like, have to like, insert yourself and get out of your comfort zone. Um, And I think I've just gotten so used to doing that every time, because like, I am a social creature, like, I love people, I love seeing people, I love learning about people. Um, So for me, like, if I let myself like, be isolated, Um, then it's just like not good for me. So I just kind of like get really out of my comfort zone um, and just message people and see if they just want to hang out. And most of the time they do. So and turns out like other people may be in the same situation as you and you get really happy that you reached out. (laughs) Is your husband like that too? My husband is very um, fine with like not having a lot of social interaction and like our little family being like enough. And I'm like, I need other people. And I think that could be challenging too. Cause he's like, he's content. Like he doesn't need to go out and socialize so much, but um, I'm curious if your husband's the same. Yeah. So like, I feel like you find that a lot where it's yeah. like couples, like you get one that's like uh-huh. super outgoing and then one's like a little bit more quiet. Like my husband's like probably not as like crazy outgoing as me, but he does, he is like really social. Like if he's like sitting inside by himself, like for an entire weekend, I think he gets like a little cooped up, but Uh he's good with going out like once a weekend to see somebody, you know? Um, And especially since his life is so crazy. I mean, when he's in port, like he's working from like 6am to like 8pm and sometimes 10pm. So I think sometimes he likes like the downtime. Um, So it just kind of like depends on the day but I wouldn't say he's as like go grab some friends like yeah yeah (laughs) as I am (laughs) yeah I think that what I've learned too is like you have to just kind of assume the friendship like you put yourself out there and then you assume as long as you're not getting totally blown off like that's obvious like assume that you're friends (laughs) and don't think that you're don't worry about being overbearing or you know because when you're the new person everybody else already has their like pockets of people Yes. So I've had a, like, I'm trying to navigate, like, who do I latch on to? But I don't want to latch too hard because she already has like 10 other groups of friends, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's like, (laughs) 
and, and, and that's what's kind of funny about it too because it's like a lot of times when I go like meet up with somebody you're just like okay it's just like casual like just like uh-huh. you know give a little bit of yourself and see what they give back to you and then like just keep inviting them to activities and then if they keep showing up you're like oh this person is my friend yeah yeah we made yeah. it we're dating we now. made it we're we dating friends <laughs> we're dating friends <laughs> but too it's like I also like get not afraid to like maybe go do like a activity by myself but it's yeah. like hey I'm gonna do this thing regardless like if you're gonna come with me or not so it's like I'll have something planned and then just send the invite out and see if people want to join me so I'll do that too <laughs> yeah where does your adventurous spirit come from I don't know like I just think like I guess my parents like my parents were always down for like a crazy adventure like when we were younger like we used to go on these like ski trips these big ski trips out to like Colorado and Utah and when we would go, you know, we'd be there for seven days and we'd ski from mountain open to mountain clothes, shove some snacks in mm-hmm. our jackets. <laughs> um, and we wouldn't stop for lunch and we would just like eat the things out of our jackets that we like packed up to hibernate for winter, basically. Um, and we would just go for seven days straight like wow. that. Um, and so my parents just traveled so much. And like when my brother and I were younger, like, they used to just leave us at the grandparents and just go off on their next adventure. And so it's like, we're always just kind of like chasing um, just a good time. So yeah, that's so good that they, they did their own adventures and took yeah, off. yeah, that's so good. Um, how old were you when you did these ski chips trips? I'm just like, thinking how much would my kids complain if we went all day like that (laughs) oh yeah well I'm trying to think like the first time we went out there I was like 12 years old okay Um, okay we were a little bit older like because my parents didn't want to bring us out there until we were like really passionate about skiing and like that we could handle being out there like that um we would just do like east coast mountains for like a long time and my parents like put us on skis at like four years old um And so we would just like go out there. But then when they were like, okay, these kids like the cold and they like to be miserable. We're going to take them off. Now you get to live in Hawaii. Yeah, I know. It's so crazy. No cold. And I'm kind of looking forward to not training in like a really hard winter as I'm seeing like other athletes like put pictures of like snow and all this. I'm like, oh, well, it's still sports bra weather here. Will it always be sports bra weather? always like now is like the coldest time of year it gets and it's like 79 <laughs> wow how long do you yeah. know I know you said earlier like things change like you say you're gonna be you know here for this amount of time and then it changes mm-hmm. but do you have an idea of how long you guys will be there um three to four years oh wow <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah like the the tour that my husband's on right now it's kind of considered one of like the hardest and longest and like grueling tours um, so, which is why like most places we've been, have been like kind of like two to three. Um, but this one's going to be like a little bit longer cause then the Navy, cause my husband's in the Navy, um, and he's on submarines and wow. so, yeah, so crazy life. Um, but they kind of have like a little bit of a hard time, like getting people to do this next tour because everybody knows it's like really difficult. So they kind of end up being a little bit longer than designed typically. <laughs> so will he like deploy at all during this tour? Yeah, like he's been gone for like about six weeks already right now. Yeah, so – and there was like a time – he had just actually popped up in Australia just a couple days ago. Yeah, so he just popped up there. Like popped Um, up from the submarine. Popped up from the submarine. They pulled into a port in Australia. So they're out there there right now with their crew. 
but for that time, like there were, there was a time where it's like we had no communication for a month. Um, wow. And so kind of the whole month of November, basically, it's like we like didn't speak to each other at all. Um, so we just kind of like you get used to that. And so then when he comes back, like he'll be home for like a couple of weeks and then he's just off again. Um, so we were talking about it last night and since he moved here in July, like he's only been on land for a total of a month right now. <laughs> I mean, have you been in a submarine? I have never been in a submarine, but I, I like, I will go on a tour of my husband's submarine at some point, but like, I know it's like super, it's small in there. Like, I feel like I would be so claustrophobic. Yeah, I feel like most people would be. Like, I'm sure I would. And, like, it's crazy because they've kind of just started, like, allowing, like, women on submarines, which is a really new concept in the last few years. Um, and so his boat, like, has probably, like, I don't even know. Like, I don't, I guess I don't know how many, like, enlisted women are on the boat. But I know for, like, officer women, there's only, like, four or five of them <laughs> in, wow. like, a group of, like, 140 people. <laughs> wow. So yeah. you probably, I don't even know if you can answer this question, but like, what, is, what are they doing? Yeah, that's a great question. And no, I don't have the answer to it. Or like, um, I don't know if you'd be like even allowed to, because if he's in the Navy, like secret missions yeah. or whatever. Oh yeah. Like everything's classified. Like I have no idea what they're doing. Wow. I have no idea where they're going. Like they'll just like pop up somewhere and I'm like, oh, here, where? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, you really have like no idea, but it's always like interesting because it's like you know, a big part of your day is like you come home and you like talk about what your day was. And when he comes home, it's like he can't talk about any of it. Wow. Um, so it is like really interesting um, because he can come through the door like really upset about something, but like he can't like tell me what's wrong because if it was like a crisis at work, like I can't know about it. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. thank you to him and you for his service. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, what a crazy, crazy wildlife. And so he must be crazy smart too yeah he's really bright and honestly like a lot of his friends are too but what I've like really appreciated about I feel like the submarine community in general like all of them are probably some of the most intelligent human beings I've ever met in my entire life but like none of them make me feel like I'm less intelligent mm -hmm. which I definitely am <laughs> Um, and that's not, <laughs> me too. that's not to knock me. Yeah. And it's like, not being like, I'm dumb. I just like know that I'm like significantly, they are just so much smarter, but they never make you feel that way. So they have like a really nice sense of compassion. Um, and they're always like so invested with what I'm doing. Like so many of our submarine friends just like love that I'm a professional runner. They follow my races, they watch my races and they're just like so into it, which is really cool. That's Cause it. I was like, and it's interesting, right? It's a balance because it's like sometimes I always feel like, oh, I'm a runner, I'm an athlete, and you kind of live this like sometimes feels like a selfish life. Mm -hmm. And then like I'm married and know all these people that live a really selfless life. So it's really, really interesting like sometimes when I think about it. <laughs> You're part of that selfless life too though. Yeah, and that, and that's what, that's what everybody always tells me whenever I say that because I'm just like, oh, like – um, they say, well, like you kind of contribute to that as well. And like, I'm like, okay, that makes me feel a little bit better sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. you know, I, I think there's someone that I know from back in the day of running. I don't, do you know the name Chris Law? Oh, I don't think I do. Well, she's, um, she's not a professional runner, but she did qualify for the Olympic trials and the marathon. And I'm pretty sure her husband is in the Navy on submarines. Oh, no way. Yeah, I'll, I'll double check if that's the fact. I know he's in 
I know he's in the military and I'm pretty sure he does submarines, but he also, they're like quite a bit older than you. And I think he might've even like met his retirement by now. Like they're probably early forties. Oh, so definitely then. Yeah. Um, but I should connect you guys cause sh- they have three kids and like, she's lived oh. this, like, you know, she's lived this life as a military wife for and her husband living this lifestyle for so long. And, um, yeah, it's like a wild, you got, you have to have like a certain kind of bond with the other spouses yeah. of, of people in the service. Oh, you, you, you definitely do. And that's why it's, it's so nice. And that's where it's like, you know, like being open about this life, you know, you hear things like that. It's like, oh, I can connect you with like somebody else who's been through this pipeline. Um, And so you do get like really connected with the spouses and the spouses that I've met here have been like just absolutely lovely or like have been through like longer deployments than I've experienced. And so you kind of are all just like there for each other. And it's a really, really special community. Um, And I'm like super happy to be a part of it. So So you back to running a little bit. Yes. You've had quite (laughs) quite a great year coming back from a pretty intense and dramatic traumatic surgery tell us yeah. about that a little bit yeah so that was that was a really that was like a really devastating um that was a really devastating injury and especially like during the time of it was like pretty crazy um you know it's like when you look back at the covid year and t- the winter of 2020 like I was running really well. I was like feeling really confident. I'd run 1507 for the first time. And like, I was so excited, like knowing the trials were like four months away. And like, I had this belief to know, like, I can do this, I can get there, you know, and then COVID hit and, you know, every athlete or every person, you know, kind of went through their own thing of that. Um, And then, you know, you're getting ready now again for the Olympic year. And, you know, eight weeks before the trials, I'm running a threshold workout in Sedona and I just, I heard a pop and it was like, I never like collapsed. Like I finished out the final like 200 meters of the rep, but like I knew something didn't really feel right. And I think like in my own dramatic way, I went behind like a little building, like on the Sedona track and just cried it out a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I just felt like it was really bad. And I had gotten like an MRI a couple days later um, and it was like a parrot beak medial meniscus tear. Um, had you had any like, pain before, like any indication that that could happen? Not really. Like I had like some knee like tightness, I would say, but not enough to like really make me like stop running. Um, and then all it must have like, if I had to guess, like probably micro teared a little bit and then it just kind of like ripped all the way. Um, so, and that, and that was like really tough because it's like, you know, you still have that belief, like, well, maybe I can like cross train and like get there and like, you know, like my coach and like all the people I was like trying to see and like trying to just get me rehab and trying to get to the start line. And I think like that first week in June, we just kind of realized like, it's just not going to happen. Like, I don't want to just be like a participant mm-hmm. that shows up and like maybe can finish the race. Like to me, like that's not the goal. Um, and it was like, it was time to get healthy and we tried to rehab this thing for months before like getting surgery and it just wasn't in the cards. Um, so we kind of, we finally went ahead, we got the surgery and I got really, really lucky because my tear ended up not being like, it it was like, it was a bad tear, but like, um, my recovery time ended up being pretty quick. And we did like all this like prehab, which helped me recover quicker because we did like months of prehab before I even went into surgery. Um, and when my, um, orthopedic surgeon was evaluating me, he was like, 
when I'm like looking at your symptoms, like I wouldn't even tell you that you have a meniscus tear. Mm. Um, he thought like when he went in for surgery that he was going to find something wrong with like my intra-articular cartilage. But he was like thrilled when he went in there and he saw that it was just a tear. And he was like, you have great, you, your knee looks beautiful. <laughs> um, the only thing that I see is this tear. And, you know, we did the surgery and it was great. And I was probably back starting to like walk jog, like, probably like eight ish weeks, like after it. Um, but during that, it was like, it was devastating. Cause like the Olympics were going on, like when I got my surgery. So I'm like sitting on the couch, I'm like trying to watch it and like be supportive of like team USA, but it just got like really hard. Cause I was like, I didn't even get to the trials. I didn't even get a chance to succeed. I didn't get a chance to fail. Like I didn't get a chance to even be there. Mm. Um, and so that was just like, so crushing. And then through that whole summer, I kind of just went through like, do I have like the emotional push to like get back to want to be at this level? Like, do I want to still be a runner? Like, do I still want to do this? Like my husband and I put my resume together that like, I've never had one. Like we worked on that all summer um, to put my resume together to start applying for jobs come fall because I just thought like that was it. I had no push. I had no fire. I didn't want to be back. And so when I was going through my rehab, I was just like thinking of it as more of like an active person and I was like, okay, like, I want to be able to ski, I want to be able to hike, I want to be able to do all of these things. So I really committed to that rehab. Um, and then all of a sudden, like the fire started coming back a little bit. And then I was like, really starting to feel like, oh, I do want to be back. And as I was going through my rehab, I was like, I was starting to like think and set goals a little bit. And I was like, it just started to like, come back and the fire started burning again. Um, and it was like almost like all this time away from the sport actually ended up being like really good for me because I feel like it just made me question like how bad do you want this and how bad do you want to be back? Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like I entered the 2022 season just like a new person, like willing to take risks, like getting out of your comfort zone. And I just wanted to just be totally committed to this goal. And so I feel like I had like my best spring season that I've had, um, like not like nationals obviously didn't go the way I wanted to, but it's like, I'm still gaining experience at racing at championship races. Cause I really haven't raced many, like in 2019, I was hurt. I missed 2020, 2021, I got hurt. And so it was like, you know, this it's, I'm still learning, um, in the sport. So it was just like a time and just going through that was like a lot. Um, but then you kind of boil it down. You're like, okay, this is just a knee injury. And you kind of like, there's other people dealing with something on a much bigger scale. So you kind of have to like let yourself go and like forgive yourself that it's like not your fault that you're hurt. Like, um, and like, let's just like push forward and just like set goals and let's get to where we want to be and like not think, and dwell on like what could have been because letting go of that was really hard. <laughs> oh, I'm sure in an Olympic year, I'm sure yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> it's that teeter though. Like, because like you said, there are more devastating things in the world. There are people yeah. going through way harder things, but at the same time, like you have to, you had to give yourself the time to grieve and process and like let go of what you really wanted. Like you couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, I, I, I just couldn't, there was, it was so out of my control. Like I couldn't do anything. Um, and you deserved and, to grieve it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what, <laughs> how else to say it, but like, yeah, it's like, I feel like sometimes we live in this world where we're like, well, it's not that bad. I shouldn't like, I shouldn't, you know, like feel bad about this bad about it. But like, 
you can like you you have to give yourself the grace and like the space to feel that yeah and and the other thing is too which is like kind of crazy and I think this is what helped like shape my perspective a little bit that summer as well it's like you know you're grieving this knee injury and you're like going through it and you're like oh this is so terrible but you know like a week after well the week before my surgery and then the week after my surgery the week before my surgery, like my father had this stroke. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and then the week after my surgery, we found out my mom had breast cancer. Oh my goodness. Um, which was, you know, just crazy. And I think that's what helped shape it a little bit mm-hmm. because you have like this like crazy perspective of like, I have these two parents that are going through these like major health issues and I'm upset about my knee injury. Yeah. So it's like at that point, it was like almost a sign from the universe to be like, okay, your, your grieving time is now done. Like mm. you can no longer be mourning this. Like we have to move forward. Um, both of my parents are fine. Like they've recovered well. Yeah. Yeah. And they've, they're both, yeah, which is great. Right. Cause we're super lucky and I know not everybody is. So again, it was kind of like almost like a test from the universe to be like, Hey, like, everybody's fine, but just so you know, let's have some perspective. And so, you know, like some things happen for a reason like that. And like I said, my parents are totally fine and they're both very healthy right now, but yeah. Yeah. So something, sometimes things happen like that. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I heard you talk about, um, one of your friends saying like, just like live your life right now. Just like live like a non-professional athlete and do all the things that you can't normally do. Cause like, why not soak that up right now? Yeah. And that was like some of the best advice like I, I received and it just kind of seems like so simple, but like it, that one just really sunk with me. Like one of like my best friends that I was on the BAA with, you know, we like talk like very frequently and she was kind of like, yeah, she's like, just be a little less injured. Yeah. <laughs> she, and she was like, you know, like how often do we just get to like, almost like get a break? Like, you know, so many times, like when you're injured, you just have this tunnel vision of like, having to get right back and like you don't get to appreciate the time and do things outside the sport that you never get to do so I just like really took that and I like ran with it and I'm like yeah like let me do things that like I don't usually get to do when I'm like traveling and racing in the summer and like do all these like crazy things I was like let me just experience what it's like to be a person outside the sport and it was just like the best advice I had received and like I'm really thankful that she had said that to me because I was like yeah like that makes so much sense like be a little less injured (laughs) be a little less injured I love that um (laughs) has that changed your perspective now on how you go about day-to-day when training like after a big race or anything like that no it's it definitely does because especially for me like missing like seven months totally of running like if there's months seven months completely like I didn't run a step for seven months wow Um, (laughs) that's a long time it was a really long time. So sometimes when it's like, you know, when you're training really hard and you're just like, oh, like I just need like a day off, like I just take it because I'm just like, oh, well, if I took seven months off and I was able to like run well, if I take like a day off, it's fine. Or like, you know, it kind of just shapes your perspective a little bit or it's like, I feel like I have a little bit more of a relaxed approach to like some things with like training and racing where it's like, um, you know, before that big 10K that I'd ran, I'd only put in like, I had no fall training. I had eight weeks of just kind of trying to play catch up before I ran that 10 K. And so we were just like, okay. And so for me, I just saw that I had eight consistent weeks. And so like, if I have like a little hiccup for me, I know it's like, okay, well, if I just put eight solid weeks, like I'm going to be fine. So I just like, feel like I don't get like as stressed about the things as I used to when I was a younger athlete Mm. of like missing a day or having a little hiccup or like getting sick and like taking a couple days off for me, that's a no brainer now. Like, 
if I, if I get sick, I'll just take three days off because I'm like, oh, well, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to get better quicker too. So <laughs> see, there's some really beautiful things about aging. The wisdom. <laughs> there is some beautiful things. The wisdom. You learn so much as you get older. And as you get older, you know, you kind of tend to go through some more things, right? Just life. And so I think it just like kind of helps you like just gain perspective, which is so important. And it just like kind of helps you like approach things differently. So it is a beautiful thing. Aging is beautiful. (laughs) Hey, everybody. As we head into cold and flu season, I don't know about you, but I don't want to deal with it. You can take some preventative measures by using elderberry syrup. And I have an awesome human who is part of this podcast network who has her own elderberry syrup. Her and her husband own a small farm and they source the highest quality ingredients for their products. What is elderberry? It is an immune modulating herb, which brings balance to the immune system, reducing stress, decreasing inflammation, and helping to prepare the body for cold and flu season naturally. If you do get sick, it's proven to help reduce severity and duration. It's also safe for kids to take. If your kids are under one, you can use their DIY kit that they have available on their website and use maple syrup or your favorite sweetener instead. The elderberry syrup that they have also has the addition of healing herbs like cinnamon, gingers, rose hips, which is huge for vitamin C and clove. Elderberry syrup helps you stay on top of your health all year long. Listen, my kids are coming home with colds left and right, and I've been downing this. I was downing the elderberry before the New York City Marathon, and I'm downing it after because they're coughing all over me. And knock on wood, I'm not sick yet, but we'll see. We'll see. Even if I do get sick, though, I am hoping that the elderberry syrup decreases the severity of it like it's proven to do. Um, This is a small family-owned business as well. I always feel like things made in small batches, you can bet that it's probably better quality than what you're buying massively produced at the grocery store. They put a lot of love into their products. You can go to greengrowers.farm and when you use the code SANDYBOY at your checkout, that'll get you free shipping. So that's greengrowers.farm and use the code SANDYBOY at checkout. And I, I gotta tell you, it's actually really tasty. Like you could add it into your oatmeal or I just take a tablespoon and, and down it, but it's, it's actually a really delicious tasting syrup. Um, again, that's greengrowers.farm. Use the code SANDYBOY and get yourself some free shipping. All right, friends, back to the show. The 10K. So we're talking to a three-time road mile, U.S. road mile champion doing the 10K now. So talk to us about the decision to step up the distance so much. Yeah. So I think like the biggest thing is like when I was talking to like my coach Terrence about like getting back to like my first race, like post-surgery, it would have been my first race in a year. Um, I think we were kind of just looking for something that like I couldn't compare myself to Mm. and we weren't quite quite ready for like speed stuff it just was not there like you could see it in practice I just really wasn't that quick yet um but we were doing a lot of like really good like 10k training or like I've always been like pretty good at tempos or like grinding out like longer type interval workouts like I've always actually kind of really enjoyed that as well so when he had asked me and said hey like do you want to just like run this 10k and I'm like okay, sure. Like nothing to compare myself to. I've never done one before. We're in a strength phase. So like, why not? Let's do it. And so I ran 
that first 10K. And honestly, I was like, this is like kind of a blast. <laughs> um, so I many had, like, laps. It was so, it was so many laps. It was like, kind of, it was like kind of crazy. And like every time I've run a 10 K now, it's been like this whole like dramatic thing. So I realized like 10 K and drama is just going to like be my thing. Um, so, but yeah, it's just been like interesting. Right. And I think like every time you try a new event, it's just like this like fresh start. Like you can kind of just like picture all these goals and stuff. Um, and I had just really surprised myself with it. Like I just really, I guess, didn't think I'd be able to run that fast, but we just kind of committed to it because I was like, oh, screw it. Let's just go. Let's see what happens. Um, and so none of them is great. And, you know, run the 10K at Nationals, run it at NACAX. Um, and then now I've kind of have this focus on this little bit of a longer distance. Um, I do love the mile. I love it so much. And it's really hard to like, kind of be like I'm not going to be running it as much or like when I run them it's going to be training for the five and the ten and like that's a really hard thing to like say as a miler um but I have been really loving training for like the 5k 10k distance and I was very surprised that I did but I'm happy I did (laughs) yeah well are you bulking up your mileage a lot well, actually, I've pulled my mileage back. So since like the big um, meniscus injury, like I was able to handle like probably 80 to 85 miles a week, like as a miler, like really That's well. That's so much for a miler. Yeah, is it, it, it is a lot for a miler. Is it a lot? Am I I, I think so. Okay. Yeah, no, I think so. It kind of just depends like what your distance space is. But like I think a lot of milers probably sit closer to 70, mm. maybe 65, 70 but the whole year last year, like I never went over 70 miles per week because I was coming back from this injury. Like all of my, um, all my doubles and stuff, like I wasn't running any of them. I was swimming all of them. Um, so I've actually like pulled back my mileage and even this fall, like I haven't really gotten close to 80 at all. I've like added back like some running doubles this fall, but like I had a really great season of doing lower mileage and just adding swimming in. So I'm probably going to keep a similar model now. So I've actually like pulled back the mileage a little bit. (laughs) Now that you say that, I think I did read that, which is so wild. So I'm curious how, how do you keep confidence for those longer distances knowing you're actually running less miles? Is it just that the workouts have shifted so much? I think the workouts have shifted so much. And I feel like I draw like a lot of my confidence, like from my workouts and a lot of the workouts that I do solo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I realized that when I had like pulled back like my mileage a little bit, like my tempos were still getting faster. I'm running faster on my longer intervals. And I was like, so, you know, every runner is different. Like some runners might need like more mileage to feel that confidence. But for me, it's just like a good hard session. And I'm like, oh, I know I'm ready. Like I feel good doing like four by mile or like, eight mile tempos like I feel good doing all of that so for me I never think like oh like mileage is the answer for me in fact I've had kind of like a bit of injuries so I was like let's try like pulling back miles and let's see if that helps me stay injury free are you still Um, swimming yeah I still I still swim a lot um I've done some like open ocean swims here in Hawaii and tell us tell us about that is it scary um, a little bit. It's a little scary. It took me like probably like six weeks of being here to even like try like going out in the ocean to swim. Um, but I did the first time I went out, I was like cracking myself up because I'm like swimming in the ocean and like I'm feeling great. I'm like, look at me. I'm just like open water swimming. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like you got I got this like overwhelming feeling that I was like not by myself. Oh, and I got like really freaked out. And I'm swimming, I'm swimming. And then all of a sudden, there's a giant sea turtle underneath me. (laughs) Yes. 
And so I just, we totally freaked each other out. It's like my, <laughs> my stomach was probably like an inch from its shell. And I was like, ah, and I like freaked out and the turtle freaked out. And like, they both like swam opposite directions. So it was really comical and like nobody else saw it, but like I was cracking up. Of all things, um, a sea turtle, yes. good. A sea turtle, good, but it is pretty crazy how your instincts just kind of like kick oh, in like I'd that. Oh, I freaked out. Oh, I, I was freaking out a little yeah. bit. I was like, okay, like swim a little closer to shore now. Uh-huh. And like it was, yeah, it was super freaky, but it ended up just being a turtle. So it was fine. <laughs> so do you still get out there in the ocean? I do. I still, I still get out there. I sometimes go like a little bit earlier because I try not to like swim at sunset because I'm just yeah. like, eh, I don't want to like. situation, sunset? It's a shark situation. Like most people you talk to here, like they don't like they're not like freaked out by sharks. I think they just kind of like, it is what it is. Right. Like it's yeah. like, if they're just there, just don't be dumb. Yeah. Um, so I feel like the rule of thumb in Hawaii is like, if you see somebody else doing it, it's okay. But if you don't see anybody else out there, don't go. That's yeah. kind of the rule I go by. <laughs> it's like, um, being on the trails in like Colorado and like, yep. just be smart about the bears, that kind of thing. Like you just know certain times and wh- how to behave and yeah, yeah, like bears, mountain lions, it's the same thing as going into the woods, right? It's like, you know, they're there, this is their territory. Yeah. So you just got to like, not just be smart about it. And so it's, the, you just kind of adopt that like same attitude with the ocean too. Listen, I don't think I can uh, be unscared <laughs> of mountain lions and bears or sharks. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how the people, these trail runners, they just like go out there by themselves and run for hours. Like I, I know there's people listening that that's you. I, I don't know how you do it. Like I would be so terrified. Oh yeah. Like when, when I had, when I had lived in Seattle, um, when my husband was like stationed out there, like I would run back in like the Port Gamble forest, like all the time, um, by myself, I wouldn't see another soul. And then there were like mountain lion attacks back there. And so I just totally stopped like running back there. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, but people do it like all the time and they're just totally fearless with it, which is great. But like, I heard about those attacks and I'm like, nope, not going back in there. No, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) So tell everybody the story about getting the world standard and the race where you stop a lap early. (laughs) I know you probably hate this, but I think many listeners might not know the story. And it's so cool that you still went on and got the standard. Yeah, no, it's so cool. Like when I had finished that race, like my coach was like, this now might be my favorite Emily story. Um, <laughs> it, it used to be the one when I got lost in training camp in Mammoth. Um, oh, tell but us now, about that too. I'll tell you about that one. Okay. But th- this is now his favorite one. But, you know, it's like I'm a miler. I'm running a 10K. Like, you're not really keeping track of the laps. And, like, because you just don't want to keep looking at the lap counter. And so, you know, as the pack, like, started, like, getting faster and pulling away, I just remember, like, looking at the lap counter And we had, like, the pace lights, too, which was, like, really, really helpful. So you're kind of, like, keeping an eye on that as well. So, again, not looking at the lap counter. And (laughs) as we're going, I remember looking up at the lap counter and, like, seeing, like, I think, like, four or five laps to go, something like that. And I just remembered – I just started counting down in my head without looking at it as I was coming around each lap. So I was like, okay, like, four laps to go, three laps to go, two laps to go, one lap to go. And so – and I also didn't see, like, Dom Scott in No Man's Land. So that, like – I knew that, like, Elise was way up. I didn't realize that Dom had pulled away from our pack. And so with two laps to go, in which I thought was one lap to go, I started, like, sprinting, like, finishing kick um, <laughs> the final, like, 200. And I'm, like, blowing past our whole pack. And, like, nobody's, like, matching foot speed. And I was like, oh, my God, I think I just came in second. <laughs> um, and then I look at the clock and I and I'm like – oh no, I didn't just run the American record. (laughs) 
Um, I totally stopped because I thought my race was done. And I was like, oh my God. And like instantly I was like, okay, I've got to get back on the track. I've got 150 meters to probably just chill before I have to start hauling again. And I don't even remember people passing me. Like I was already hurt. I like, like hurting a lot. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I've got one true lap to go now. And like the pace lights, like I'm going back and forth with the pace lights. Um, My coach had run across the field and he was like, Emily, just follow the lights. (laughs) Um, So I just thought I was like dying. And then like, so we're just like going around the track and like, it it was, it was just so dramatic and people were passing me left and right. I don't even remember people passing me and I'm coming down the final stretch and we're again, we're going like back and forth with the lights. And then I finally crossed the line and I saw that I ran 31, 24 on my true last lap which I think I ran like over 80 seconds for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was like so thrilled that I was able to get it done. And then like we like when I finished the race, like I don't think we knew like if I had run the standard or not. And then we saw the time pop up and it was like 31.24.8. So I had like because ju- it's 31.25. Oh, and wow. And so – yeah. And so it was like, obviously this whole dramatic scene, right? So it was like, oh, well, welcome to the 10K, Emily. Like you're a drama queen now. <laughs> <laughs> was it, were you embarrassed? Very. I was unbelievably embarrassed. I was like so happy that like people, well, what was really funny is like my family and friends watching on the feed, they saw me in like great position with this pack. And then all of a sudden, like, cause then they had the camera on Elise finishing because she was like going for the American record. And then like, my family and friends are like kind of like watching people come through and they're like, what the heck happened to Emily? Like she looked great and now we don't see her. And then they see me kind of like wobbling (laughs) in. They're like, what happened to her? Um, But nobody on camera like saw me do like the ridiculous, like thought I finished the race. So I felt a little bit better about that. But I was unbelievably embarrassed because I think I like screamed the F word when I realized that I didn't, um, that I had another lap to go. <laughs> oh my gosh. What's wild though is had that not happened, you would have had the standard by like five seconds probably. Probably. Yeah. I think I probably would have because I wouldn't have like kicked like so much early and had this whole dramatic scene. So I have thought about that where I was like, man, like I probably could have run just like maybe even under like 3120 on that day because I thought that that would have been like pretty sweet. And it was funny because I was talking to some of the competitors after and I was talking to Millie Palladino and she was like, yeah, like I had no idea what you were doing. I was like, man, is she just like going like 600 out right now? She must be feeling really good. And then she saw me stop and she's like, oh no, she thought she was done. Yeah, so it was dramatic, and I was so embarrassed when it happened. But come to find out, a lot of people love the story, and like my coach always makes fun of me now. And he was like, "Oh, you know, the five k is eleven laps, right?" Yeah. Or like he'll just like <laughs> kind of like screw with me like that. And so now the big joke is that Emily can't count. <laughs> I mean, you have such a more fun story now. Like, yeah, <laughs> your start to the ten k is so much more exciting now because of this story. That's what I like to think, right? It's super fun. And I think it's going to be a story that my coach is going to tell his athletes for like a really long time. Um, He's going to scare them into making sure they know what lap they're on. Oh, yeah. He's definitely going to scare them into thinking like, okay, make sure you count your laps. Because once upon a time, I had an athlete that did something (laughs) like this. And so I I remember like him and like one of my teammates were like, oh my God, like she just messed this up. Like how did she just mess this up? And so like him and like one of my other teammates were just running around the infield with me, just like trying to get to me and just tell me to like hang tough. And it's so funny. (laughs) So good. What's the mammoth story? 
Oh gosh, the Mammoth one is pretty hilarious too. Like I, <laughs> we, when we go to Mammoth, like we do like this uphill run. So it's like six miles up to like um, where the ski lift is and we start from town and we go up and it's pretty simple. Like you're supposed to just like, there's like this path, like you follow the trail right up. Um, this was my first training camp at altitude. And like, I've always had a pretty terrible like sense of direction um and everybody kind of knew that but they're like oh she's gonna be fine like this is just like a very simple thing <laughs> and we have like six people that we were that were running this uphill run and we all kind of eventually got a little strung out and Terrence was at like different points like handing us water and like driving the car up and whatever and so Terrence hit like one of the checkpoints and he sees like the runner that was ahead of me and he sees the runner that was behind me but he doesn't see me so he's like okay Emily either just like really faded so I'll just wait a little bit and there was like no sign of me but for me, when I was running, I was like going up the path and it kind of goes along the side of like Mammoth Mountain. And so I'm going, I'm going, and I see this little dirt path that goes off the side. I was like, oh, I'm definitely taking that. And so I went off the side of the dirt path and we were supposed to run for like an hour up the hill. And so then I just like kind of kept like going, going up the mountain. And like, I see signs that were the actual like ski signs, like for the trails. And I'm like, hmm, this doesn't really seem right, but like we're supposed to run for an hour. So I'm just going to keep going. So I just kind of like keep like going up the mountain. And I got to, like pretty close to the top of Mammoth Mountain. Oh my God. Um, and I looked down and I'm like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be a problem. Um, and so I saw that there was like this construction site um, at the base of a chairlift. And so I like, eventually like I saw it and I saw the path and I went down to the base of the chairlift. And I was like starting to get like flustered at this point because I didn't know like where I was supposed to be. I'm like kind of in the middle of the woods, like, um, and I felt like started getting like really scared. And I see the, and I finally get to these construction workers and I like open my mouth and I just start crying. And I'm oh. like, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't find my friends. And I've been missing for like hours at this point. Um, so like my coach wow. is freaking out, like my teammates are freaking out. And like, I like eventually, they eventually like got me to the main road and I see like Terrence like driving his car, like up and down the road. And he was like kind of freaking out cause he thought he like lost me. And it was just like, again, like whole dramatic scene, um, because we were supposed to just simply follow the path and I scaled the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many miles you ended up running? Oh my God, probably so many. Like, I feel like it was supposed to be like a six mile run and I probably ran like nine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I like really messed this up. I'm like 21 years old. Like I, and this is like solidified. Like Emily, like now can't run by herself in yeah, the woods. She, she needs doesn't a partner. know where she's going. <laughs> she needs a partner. And so like, I think like Terrence was like so flustered that he couldn't even get mad at me because he thought like I was like missing. So yeah. he was like, okay, so like she's here. It was super scary. Yeah, because he probably feels like um, maybe fatherly isn't the right word, but just like I'm yeah. like I'm in charge of these people. Yeah, no, for sure. Because he was like, I have to call her dad and like tell her that she's missing. Like, yes. how do I do that? Um, so it was super funny because I was missing for hours. Like, I don't even remember how long I was missing that for. Is so but like, scary. Was it starting oh, yeah, to like, get dark? No, because like we started the run at like nine, okay. so it was like it was probably by like. I was probably found by like two or three. Wow. <laughs> um, so I don't even remember what time it was. Like I would have to ask Terrence like how long I was actually like missing for. But like it was like it was it was a long time and they just like couldn't find me. And like the whole team is just like sitting like camping out, oh like wait, waiting for me to come back. And like I was just so embarrassed because I'm like a rookie. Here uh -huh. I am at my, my first training camp and I scaled the side of a mountain and got completely lost. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so you've been with Terrence for a long time. Yeah, we have. Like he's been my coach like since I've graduated college. Um, and we've kind of like been through it together, right? Like he's like, he's been like really generous to me. Like him and Jen have been like super great. Um, I think he like really knows me as an athlete and he's like really working, willing to like work with like this military life mm -hmm. that I have. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he'll ask you tough questions and make you find answers. And like, he's just been like, I think like really great for me, like throughout my career and stuff. So I've been pretty lucky. That's awesome. I've heard lots of people that have worked with him just have really high compliments about his work. Yeah, no, he's just like really bright with like the way that he kind of like just thinks and approaches training and like you as an athlete, because like, it's not always like the physical thing, but he'll always like kind of talk about mm -hmm. like the mental side of the athlete or like, um, just kind of really pushing you to your limits and like making you ask yourself like hard questions and like find some answers. And like, he's just been like, and he's just like, I just have like, a lot of trust in, in him with like his training plan and stuff. So and I've just I've kept improving every year, right? And so that's like a really big thing too. Um, so I've been pretty lucky because I know people kind of like shuffle coaches a lot, yeah. but I've, I've been pretty fortunate that I've kind of found a groove and stayed there. Um, I did, you know, recently I interviewed a miler who is training for a marathon now. And now that you're doing the 10 K I'm like, oh is God. that ever going to happen for you? I don't know. Like so many people, it, it's so interesting, right? Cause it's like when you're at Boston marathon, and you're at New York City Marathon and you're sitting in the stands and you're like, oh, man, this is like so cool. Like part of you just like kind of really wants to do it one yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then it's like when I'm at training camp and I see like my training partners, I kind of train for these marathons. I'm like, oh, man, that is a <laughs> lot of miles, a lot of tempos, a lot of long intervals. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I guess I should never say never yep, because yep. I, I also told Terrence that if I'm ever, if I ever run a 10K, I'll retire before I ever run a 10K. Oh, so. <laughs> you have proved that theory wrong. I have now proved that theory wrong. So I guess I can never say anything definite. So we'll see, but I would say no. <laughs> do you think though now, like, you know, when the Olympic trials do happen, do you think it'll be the 10 you focus on? I don't know. Like I, it, it's hard to say yeah, like it's still pretty far out. It's still pretty far out. And like, I've only run like a handful of like 10 K's and I've like, haven't really, I mean, I guess I run that ran NACAX when it was like really hot, but like, I've been pretty lucky with my 10 K's where it's been like perfect weather. The paces have been perfect. Mm -hmm. It's like, so I haven't really, I think experienced that like real grueling type of mm -hmm. 10 K's. Um, so I'll be curious when I do experience that, like what it will kind of be like, like I do really enjoy the five as well which is also like a fairly new event for me. Um, so yeah, I will. Yeah. So I don't know. It will, it will definitely be like a five or 10 focus, but it's hard to say like which one it will be. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it will be the 1500, which yeah. makes me feel sad. I know. What's <laughs> yeah. exciting though? It is. It's, it's all been fun, right? Like I've been really excited to like go to war every day for these goals. And it's been like, it's been really great. And I'm just like really happy at like age 30 that I feel like really passionate about this sport still. Cause yeah. I know that that's not everybody. Right. Like, and I'm still okay with like doing all the travel, like from my home. And, you know, and I think it helps that like my husband's life is so crazy that it's like, I'm not always constantly leaving him behind. Like he's leaving me behind mm -hmm. too. And mm -hmm. so we just like, I think it kind of helps that I have like my own thing that I'm focusing on and feel really passionate about. Well, what's one thing professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? 
Ooh. Oh gosh. I don't know. Like there's, there's like, there's so many things. Um, for me, it's like, I always would love to do something that kind of like gives back, but I'm mm. not sure in like what sense I want to do that. And I think I almost want to like combo it with like, kind of like a military, like, giving back like military and like running wise, but I haven't figured out how exactly I want to do that yet. And especially since like, I'm never in one place. So it's hard to kind of build a community. Um, but definitely like professionally, like I still have like really big goals for myself. Like I'm still targeting, trying to get on team on these tracks. Um, I still believe it's in me and I'm still going to be chasing that goal pretty fiercely. Um, whether or not like anybody else thinks it's realistic, like me and my support team, like we're still chasing that. Yes. Um, and that's all that matters to me. And so that's really like the big, big goal. Cause I know that I still have that in me and like, I like really, really focused on getting that done. Um, so, and like I said, I don't know what event that will be, but I'm really, really motivated to run for team USA. And I know that making these teams is not easy at all. Um, making these teams is extraordinarily difficult. But, you know, I want to be a contender. Like, I want to be there and chase that. So that's still what I'm chasing. <laughs> I bet more people believe that's realistic than you think. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. But all that matters is that, like, I, I still believe it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, that's and awesome. that's, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. And when I think of the 2023 season, like, I get excited. Mm-hmm. And that's always, like, my test for myself, like, every single year. It's like, when I approach fall training, like, am I still thinking about my goals next year? Because the day that you're not doing that is the day that maybe it's like, we don't get to start lines anymore. And we start transitioning out of the sport, but my fire is still burning. I'm still making goals. Like I'm still dreaming. So that's awesome. Um, what is the best, most recent book you've read? Oh, oh my goodness. My favorite book that I could just never stop talking about. And I probably read it about a year ago, but this one just sticks with me. Um, it's called Into Thin Air. Okay. Um, have you ever heard of that book? I think I have. Yeah. So it's basically about the um, Mount Everest disaster that happened in 1996. And the book is like, it. the author was somebody that was like on the mountain and he was um, – and he talks about just all these like crazy stories and unfortunately like all the people they lost around the way. And like, I've always been like, I've always had this like crazy fascination with like Mount Everest, Mm -hmm. um, which I know is like kind of like a weird random thing, but I've been unbelievably fascinated about it for like a really long time. And so like reading this book, I just like devoured it. I just loved it so much. And like, it just recounts like the stories of the survivors and stuff and like just everything that can really like go wrong, like on any given day up there. And, like, the author was, like, he wrote for, like, Outside Magazine and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was, like, going to climb Everest to do a piece on it. And then all of a sudden this crazy, horrible disaster happened on top of the mountain. And that's what the book was about. (laughs) How crazy that he was there to write the story anyway. Like, he was there to do the story and then that unfolded. That's so devastating. Yeah. Well, it's it's a really controversial book, kind of, because it was, like, he wrote it, like, six months after it happened. And I think some of the families, like, didn't know it was, like, getting released. And so, like, I think they were, like, really, really upset, like, yeah. kind of reading it. Um, and he kind of had, like, in his, like, foreword, like, he was talking about how, like, he knows that this book might be upsetting to people. But he also was, like, it's really important that people know the story of kind of what happened up there. Yeah. I feel like anytime a tragedy happens and a book comes out, it's like, what are the motives, you know? Right. Like, yeah. Like, like what are the motives behind it? So it was just a really interesting read. And if you're like an adventure book person, like that is um, one of them. So yeah, I guess it's like, I just, again, love adventures, yes. but it was, it was, yeah, it was super sad, but it was really well written. Um, and I love the book. 
Who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Ooh, that is really interesting. Um, so I guess it's like not necessarily like a person, um, but like for me, it's always like I've mentioned like women in submarines. Mm. Um, I think it's really, really fascinating to sit down and talk to a woman in submarines because they live in a man's world. They're under the water with these men and they are the most empowering women who are so motivated and just make you like feel like you can get after anything. Um, and so they're like the most interesting like group of people to sit down and have a conversation with. Like, oh, and if anybody gets a chance to like, you should definitely. <laughs> I love that answer. I've never had yeah. that answer here. I love it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> what is your last message to leave with the audience? Yeah, I think like my, my last message is, is like, you know, don't be afraid of like, just like living your own life. Like, you, you know, I think we live in this world of social media and everybody makes things seem like a certain way. We're all guilty of it. Um, but just like never be out there comparing like what your life could be to somebody else's and just be really present in your moments. Because I think sometimes like in the era of social media, we get away of that feeling of being really present. And that's something that I've always like worked on, particularly like after this injury is just like being like so present in everything I do. It'll, it'll drain you. The social, I mean, it'll, it'll like take you away from like what you're actually trying to do and accomplish. It's so true. No, it, it's definitely true. And I found that and we're all like, you know, slightly addicted to yeah. it. You just can't help yourself. It's part of the world we're in. Totally. And like, and like, you know, when I had my big injury, I deleted my Instagram for seven months and it was the most amazing thing I ever did. And I was really happy I did it. And now I brought it back. I have a healthier relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I just, yeah, that's always, that's my big message is just like remain present and just like life goes really fast and don't miss a moment. That's a really substantial amount of time to get rid of it, to like get, yeah. give yourself some real perspective. Like, cause I think people like I'll delete it for a weekend or people will take a month off but seven months. Like you really, you really lived without it. Yeah, no, I definitely did. And, you know, you even find yourself doing something weird. Like I would open up my, just by habit, I'd open up my email and just kind of like always refresh it. And I was yeah. like, what are you doing? Like, it yeah. was just like this, totally. like this muscle memory. And then like, after I didn't have it for like a month, it just felt so freeing. Totally. And then I just didn't bring it back for a long time. And it ended up being seven months without my oh Instagram. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a, it was a blast. Um, I enjoyed it. So. Have fun on your run in just a few minutes. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be going out the door, the door pretty soon here. Awesome. <laughs> thanks, Emily. All right. Thanks for being here today, everybody. Thank you, Emily, for coming on the show. Don't forget to go find Emily. She is Classic Emily L on Instagram. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hine, 626 on Instagram, at Lindsay Hine on Twitter. And uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We have a great group. You can learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network, including my podcast for parents. If you are a parent or know someone helping raise kids, send them over to Why Is Everyone Yelling? I have a lot of fun over there. Uh, thanks for being here. I appreciate you. I hope you're having a great December. And we will see you next week on I'll Have Another 